This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hey everybody, welcome back to Game of Thrones, the podcast. We're the officially unofficial podcast for all the Game of Thrones stuff that's happening on HBO. Uh, and in fact, we're, we're probably going to have to soon start thinking about what we're going to call this. If we're going to call it House of the Dragon or I mean, or what? I assume, but we'll see. But but if you haven't figured out by now, uh, Anthony does about 10 episodes a season in his Electric Boogaloo podcast, which we'll be talking about here in a minute. Uh, he takes a couple weeks off to record some new segments. Uh, and uh, get some new guests, and in in that time we slip in like the sea snakes we are, uh, with a little we'll dart dart in and do a little House of the Dragon coverage. The last time we did this was at the end of April, uh, so we've had a couple of months. In fact, just like a week after we did it, HBO dropped a whole bunch of new stuff about characters and official cast photos and stuff like that. Um, but we're going to update that. Um, but I want to talk about season four of Electric Boogaloo real quick because, you know, Anthony's been doing this uh, 30 episodes now, uh, really cranking through Game of Thrones. It's a it's a chapter by chapter book review of Game of Thrones, but it's that's not it or a discussion, I should say. Uh, Anthony also gets a bunch of great guests. Uh, he's got a recurring one who's a, co- a comedian who hasn't seen the series and they're kind of doing a rewatch of the series. Uh, but he's got a lot of great guests coming up. Last season, you might have heard him interviewing. Uh, Linda Antonson, who is one half of the writer duo that is like, uh, I guess, George Martin's maesters. Uh, <laughs> okay. They do a lot of editing for him, do a lot of like, um, you know, helping flesh out the world building. They were the co-authors of the World of Ice and Fire Encyclopedia Resource. Mm-hmm. Um, they're great. Uh, George Martin has said that Linda and uh, Elio know more about Westeros than even he does, you know, because the, they, they're cataloging it and, and all that stuff. So if you have a question for either Linda or Elio, they're also the co-founders of Westeros.org, uh, which is a massive, one of the oldest resources of uh, Game of Thrones lore on the Internet uh, that's, still, that's still up hmm. there. But if you got a question for either of those, you can email it to book at baldmove.com and maybe he can get it in front of Linda or Elio. Uh, so there you go. I, I'm looking forward to seeing Anthony come back. I'm in a couple of the podcasts. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he, you know, now he's got these great guests. I don't know. He's got medieval <laughs> historians and religious professors and uh, uh, Germs co-authors. I don't know if I'll rate anymore, but uh, season four starts August 5th. That's next week. All right, Jim. Welcome to the podcast, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm here, too. Hey. <laughs> It's been a long time since I started one of these. I forgot to say, yeah, I'm Aaron, and and uh, this is my co-host Jim. No, it's fine. Um, there's been a couple of months. I, I I went through and I've 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 kept this document kind of as I see news cross. I dump stuff in there, um, mm-hmm. and I've been collecting things as I go. Um, but the first thing is I want to talk about um, is the release. Everyone's wanting to know like when is House of Dragon coming out. Uh, very recently, just a week or two ago, um, he was in Chicago 
accepting an honorary doctorate from Northwestern University. That's his alma mater. So now, who is the he that we're speaking of? This is George R. R. Martin. Oh, Gurm. okay. Doctor Germ to you now. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, but he's accepting uh, this honorary doctorate from his his old college, and uh, of course, people pinned him down and asked him about how House of the Dragon is doing. And he said that he was hoping that it would drop in the spring of 2022. Uh, the full quote is: uh, "I'm developing more shows for HBO. We have a new show, House of Dragons, coming down the pike, filming right now over in London and Cornwall, over in England. It'll probably be next spring, I guess. But then I'm developing other shows for them." A spring release in HBO terms would mean somewhere between mid-March to mid-June of 2022. It's a traditional, that's, that's not an uncommon spot for Game of Thrones type stuff to hit. What's your impression of this piece of news? Well, I mean, a, a release window guess from George Martin is not like the most solid of promises at this point. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm going to say, look, HBO is promising 2022, I think, like officially, right? So, which I think is solid, barring a wild card we're going to talk about here in a minute. I think so. And I don't think the wild card is going to affect it much. But uh, yeah, so, you know, spring 2022, that's that's pretty soon. I'm I'm pretty happy about that. That's less than a year away. Um, I don't know. Honestly, like if it hits any time in 2022, I'll be happy just because, you know, it's been a few years already since we've had Game of Thrones. And I, I don't want them to rush this out the door. Uh, I want to get right. the writing correct. And I, I've heard from various sources involved in the production that the writing is very, very good, uh, including the the co-langer. Is that conlanger? Is is that a term that you understand? It's the guy who comes constructs languages for the show. Oh, I've never heard it re- referred to as that. I but, hadn't uh, either. I was reading around and they call them conlangers, I guess, which is like I believe an Anthony. Term. Is that the guy that came up with Dothraki? I imagine yeah. it is because Anthony interviewed him back in season two of. Uh, and he failed to get uh, the scoop because that guy's saying like the writing is really, really good. Um, he's oh, well, he wrote it in. He wrote it. He, he read it in death. Dothraki. It's kind of oh, right. dry in English. So that's the that's the concern. You know, yeah. So a lot there, more murder. There might not be much of a concern uh, with, you know, rushing it out the door. But yeah, 2022 anytime. Yeah, I, I think just to double down on that rushing out, I think that's yeah, they need they need this to be quality coming yes. out the gates because it's not like, um, you know, we talked about this. I don't want to harp on it. It's not like Game of Thrones fandom was left universally hyped for a new series after the old one. Um, on the other hand, a lot of people spent a decade of their life with these characters and would like to go back to that world and have a good time in it. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think if you put this out. A good half of the audience, which is like 50 million people we're talking about, a yeah. hundred million total worldwide audience for Game of Thrones in its final season. If you get half of them back and it's a good time, I think they'll stick around and you'll have another monster show. But if it's shaky and it's like, well, this just seems like Game of Thrones with like, you know, recast or it's very mm-hmm. samey or something like that. Or I cash think, in. Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if it just doesn't because like people what when, when people think of Game of Thrones, I think they they really think of that like intricate tense political thriller stuff the backstabbing yeah. the plotting the machinations the the reveals and the backstabs and the twists and those take time it's taken martin 10 years plus and counting the to, to come up with another one uh, mm-hmm. after his last so yeah I, I hope they do take their time um 
Now, the wild card about the spring 22 business, 2022, is I don't know if you've been paying attention to world events, but, you know, we had this miraculous uh, invention of a vaccine uh, for this worldwide pandemic. Uh, It was developed and released in record time. And at least in America, there's not a lot of interest in taking it. We stalled at about 50 percent adoption of vaccine. Meanwhile, a new variant is spreading um, largely amongst the unvaccinated population. And this bit uh, them filming in the UK uh, a couple weeks ago, the Game of Thrones production had to shut down for a brief amount of time. It's just a couple of days, maybe a week at most to to do that COVID stuff. I do wonder because essentially they're, they're they're at the filming like this is not a thing you can probably do. You know, we're going to talk about the locations and stuff here in a bit. It, it, this is not something that you can actually do, you know, isolate. It's not like VFX work where you can mm-hmm. maybe email someone a hundred gigabyte file and they do some dragon scale and send it back. You got to be hundreds of people. So as the world goes um and since there's a little bit uh, a significant time left in the, the the filming i do wonder if this becomes a, a more severe concern if this will push back the, the timeline a little bit like we saw so much of stuff got pushed back in 2020 yeah i mean i think it would have to get pretty bad again for it to be a significant timing concern um especially because i know a lot of production studios and and places that are making this media are starting to mandate um, vaccines for a lot of that's, their crew. That's the interesting thing. A lot, I saw a lot of places in Europe are starting to be like France is like, well, if you want to go to public places, you're going to have to be vaccinated. That's or specifically the, the production companies are saying, look, if you want to be a part of this production, you've got to get vaccinated. Um, 100% because yeah. we can't afford to shut that. It costs us millions of dollars to postpone sure. this for a week. Right. Um, sure. So, yeah, I would think as, as we get further along into this and more, people get vaccinated it'll be less of a concern yeah and I, I do i wonder how much of this hesitancy like will be overcome just by some of the grim statistics like 99 percent of the hospitalizations and 99 percent of the deaths are from people who are unvaccinated It'd like be a shocker if huge shock yeah but if that like that that narrative <laughs> continues to build where it's like going oh, yeah, to another hundred thousand dead but they're 99 percent unvaccinated i you know like i i don't know like um yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it's a mess. And uh, I, uh, whether it's like people being forced to because of jobs and travel and whatnot and wanting to read or because people are like Jesus Christ, this is actually I, I, I forgot the vaccines changed their life <laughs> in the 20th century. I uh, wish you should get back on that board. I, I do hope um, that this is kind of a blip. But the thing is, the thing that I worry about is like if everyone that decided to get on the vaccine board right now, you're six to eight weeks away from them being effectively you know, vaccinated. It, the True. process takes time. So yeah, slot can happen in two months as we saw in, in years past. But anyway, um, the last episode we did back in April, we talked about a lot of the casting news that had been confirmed, you know, mm-hmm. Patty, uh, Cons- Considine, um, as King Viserys, um, you know, Matt Smith, uh, Olivia Cook, Emma DR. I'm not going to go through all of them. We did. We did a whole freaking podcast on it. But there was a few things that came out since uh, that dropped. Um, one is uh, a character, uh, John and Michael Cook, who are identical twins. Um, and I, I I wondered where I saw this guy's face. And then I was looking at his IMD. They haven't done much, but they did do. One of those goofy Christmas princess switches with Vanessa Hudgens. Is that right? <laughs> okay. Hudgens? Hudgensen? 
that sounds uh, right. And I'm like, that's where, yeah, they, they were in that and it's involving twins and swapping and, and uh, I, that's where I saw them from. But they hired identical twins because in this Dance of Dragons story, in the House of the Dragon, there are twins on the Kingsguard. Uh, hmm, okay. And they're so identical because sometimes if you get to I, I grew up with identical twins and after, you know, a couple weeks or months of, of getting to know them, you start to see a little bit of like, oh, this guy's nose is slightly different. This guy's got a freckle here and the other. Mm-hmm. But but these are so legendarily identical that even their brothers of the Kingsguard could not tell them apart. Yeah. And tragically, you're not going to believe this. They're split between the greens and the blacks um, about so it's which like allegiance. Where they just wear different colors? Is that like Huey, Dewey, and oh, Louie? Okay, just... I, I thought like was there is there some kind of like fucking you know man in the iron mask shit going on at Ducktales that I didn't know about? Probably, honestly, I'm sure they did an episode on that. Yeah, uh, but they're twins. They're they're torn by the division uh, amongst the Targaryens. One of them backs one side. One of them backs the other. Okay, um, obviously, there's a lot of pathos in this, and with them being twins. A lot of chance for perhaps infiltration uh, and disguise and deception. So they're just supposed to do I'm, shirts and skins, which I don't really understand why they don't. You know, one side yeah. wears the armor, the other side doesn't, and it's fine. <laughs> uh, I, I would get like as soon as the the war the dra- the dragons broke out, I would grab and like, look, if you want to be in my king's guard, I'm gonna have to brand you. Yeah, gonna have to brand you the good one right on your head. <laughs> right. And hopefully, the other person doesn't brand your brother the good one too, or we'll be right back where we started from. Yep. Uh, but like, because because yeah, there's too much shenanigans. Uh, this is being billed as like the Clegane Bowl only more emotionally brutal okay uh, you know the kaglane bowl you know uh it was definitely delivered the brutality but i think a lot of people were missing the pathos um because the show was just kind of like you know checking off bullet points at that point uh yeah. so something to where you, the brothers are a little bit more um empathetic and rational less scarred and evil less monstrous and zombie uh i i can i could I could get behind that for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, brother versus brother. That's, that's a compelling tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, Graham McTavish, who is just a Scottish dude. Uh, he's been in a lot of like action and fantasy stuff. He's done a lot of voiceover. He looks like a Highlander. Um, you know, he's got the, the beard and the mustache and he's, he's very muscly and he looks good stripped down to a kilt. Um, mm-hmm. but he's been, uh, he was Dwaylon in the Hobbit film trilogy, which I didn't like the trilogy, but there was good work done in, inside that. Sure. Um, he was in, uh, the, he, uh, the, the AMC series preacher, which I know a lot of people liked. Right. Um, and he's also, uh, Dougal McKenzie in the stars series outlander. Scottish. Which my say. wife. Yeah. Yeah. Which my <laughs> wife religiously watches. I haven't seen him, but, uh, he has been in a, in a secret unknown unnamed role yeah i haven't seen much speculation on set i know there's been photos of him on set but nobody really knows who he's playing um yeah yeah i I don't know he's he's also king atlan in aquaman Uh, i don't know if you saw that we we saw that together but uh, yeah 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 yeah. i don't remember much of it but yeah he seems like he could play a pretty badass role yeah so I'm curious to see what we when we do another roundup here in about eight to ten weeks, uh, if we'll, we'll have uncovered any more information about it. 
the other casting information was, if you recall, uh, we talked about this in relation to Patty Considine, uh, who is playing King Viserys. And I mentioned that, like, mm-hmm. King Viserys and the role of the Dance of the Dragons is kind of like John Aaron. Yeah. He's the guy that's dead on the table that's setting off a whole shit show of po- political fallout because no one knows what to do and what. So it's like, well, why do you give a guy who's kind of like, you know, this serious of an actor, recognizable face, such a huge role at that? I said, I wonder if they'll be using flashbacks. Well, we just got casting news of Millie Alcock and Emily Carey, who are being cast as the younger versions of uh, um, shit. <laughs> Rhaenyra Targaryen and Alicia Hightower, respectively. Thank you, because I, 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 I forgot which one was which, and I didn't want to read them in the wrong order. So Allison, so Alicent, I don't, I don't know how to say that. I think it's Allison. I've always heard okay. it pronounced Allison. But as we're going to mention maybe later, like some of this stuff is, you know, like I remember Aaron Dampair. <laughs> there was a big yeah. controversy about whether he's Dampair or Dampfer. Uh-huh. Like some kind of Euro- European vampire pronunciation. And I always just thought it was damp hair because it's just like he's this the sea priest that's always wet. That's his thing. <laughs> he's always wading in water. He's pouring salt water on Makes people. Sense. He's drowning himself. He's drowning others. Uh, but there's a debate, and it turns out it's just damp hair. So yeah. is it Alicent? Is it Alicent? Is it Alicent? Who knows? Uh, we're, we're about to. I think it's Alicent. But um, they are Alicent, listed uh, as, as recurring cast members not like guest stars or anything so it's kind of seems that there will be a significant amount of flashbacks if it is indeed flashbacks the other possibility here is that we do a time jump is there is there any possibility that we start this series with these younger versions of the characters and then we time jump this thing like 20 years i think that I think we even talked about this. Like, what does it look like to have one season be this character study of of the Targaryens? And you can kind of see things happening and you can see clashes through the years. And then it like but but like, how long do you do that? Is that an episode? Is that a season? And I would say that it's like you can't even do stuff like that, except for I just got done watching For All Mankind this uh fake history space thing on Apple TV plus and they do it every fucking season jump forward mm-hmm. 10 15 20 years and it works flawlessly you just hand off to new generation of characters the so I, I think you could do that I think something more interesting would be like if they have I don't know this come across ham fisted if like you know there's uh, the, the, the you got a queen and she's on the battle top she's on Dragonstone and she's looking real pensive and they're talking about like, oh, you're going to have to do something against your sis, your, your, your queen sister or whatever. And, you know, she gets like this far off look and it just dissolves into her and uh, th- this person having a fight or her dad telling her something or other the hand of the king. Sh- I-, I don't know, because like I, s- yeah. I think of that as like lazy kind of walking dead storytelling. Mm hmm. But I've also seen it done well. So it's like it's like anything else. If you do it good, it, I guess it's it's going to work. But yeah, now I'm curious to see what form the younger stars take um, in the show, like where they end up, because. Yeah, my, my immediate assumption is with this uh, Viserys stuff that he would just be like dying in the first season, at least I would assume. Right. But like, who knows? Who knows with the structure of this thing? 
Um, so yeah, I, I what do you have an opinion on like what the audience would think if we got uh, essentially Targaryen babies for a single season of like preteen and teenage Targaryen brat sisters uh, who are j- nursing jealousies and um, not even you know they're, they're by marriage they they got they got different alliances and different uh, jostling of power. I, I don't know because. Again, like a lot of Tar- Targaryen history is written as kind of like yada, yada, yada until, oh, you got the Dance of Dragons, yada, yada, yeah. yada, Blackfire Rebellion, yada, yada, 50 years of peace and prosperity, you know, uh, boom, the, the false spring or the whatever. Uh, I, I don't know. Like if uh, I, I it, it, this goes back to the writing, like if they're just going to be writing Game of Thrones fan fiction, um, that's great because there's a whole lot of blank areas. You mm-hmm. know, again, there's a lot of yada yada to fill in there. But can they make it interesting? I guess that's the thing is like as a current Game of Thrones fan, all I know is what happened last time you had talented showrunners um, writing Game of Thrones fan fiction in the last few years. And it wasn't very satisfying. It didn't feel very yeah. Martin-esque. Um, but it's like, yeah, do we do we trust these guys or not? And we'll I guess see, I, I won't know until I'm halfway through the first season. Yeah, I think if they do it early on, um, fans will be okay with it, right? Like, what what I think would be the worst possible iteration of this is if, like, they did a season with, you know, Patty Constantine and Mad Smith and all these guys, and then they went and did a whole season of, like, flashback. Mm-hmm. That would be pretty terrible, I think, because everybody got used to these characters already. Um, but if they do the young versions to start and then they time jump later... I, I think people will be on board for that. I, I certainly would myself. Yeah, as like I said, it's like there's there's no technique that you can say is hack or stupid or no. dumb. It's Comes like execution. It's all techniques. And if you execute, if you get that emotional connect. And that's the mm-hmm. thing, like you can have as many dragons as you want. You can have castles crumbling. You can have witches doing crazy shadow baby spells. If yeah. there's no emotional connection in that material, then it's not going to quote unquote work. Um, so that's the, the real important thing, I think. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do we so I, I mentioned that like right after we got done recording our podcast, HBO dropped um, a bunch of stuff. They dropped down their fish first official pictures of the cast uh, dressed up as their their characters. Um, and I kind of want to go over that and see what your impression of uh, the first uh, the the first one that they released is um, uh, Olivia Cook. And uh, I think it's her dad, um, Otto Hightower. Um, mm, yeah. yeah, it's, it's the high towers, um, and they're looking kind of pensive, um, over a coastline with blue clouds in the background. Uh, this guy's prominently wearing the hand of the King. She's wearing yeah. a notable green scale dress. Uh, what, what did you, what'd you think of this? Uh, boy, I hope you're staring at a picture of this while you're listening to this podcast, people, cause Otherwise, I'm just gonna go over. I don't know. I I like his his uh, stuff that's keeping his shirt closed. I don't, I don't know what that's called. 
They're not. Yeah, buttons. the trip is just tri- triple triple buttons. Uh, Are they buttons? They might be buttons. That might be a loop. They're eye. They're they're, yeah. they're eye. They're called like hook hook yes. and toggle. Maybe that sounds right. Hmm. Uh. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, costuming is going to be fantastic in this show as it was in Game of Thrones, right? Well, but see, that was one of my big concerns is like, is all this shit going to look the same? Because like, it's all True. it's all Targaryens, right? Like, yeah. you know, you had before you had the Starks and the um, Lannisters and the the um, all of them, all the rest, uh, the Boltons. <laughs> right. Everyone had like unique livery. And not only that, it was all like that kind of like look was worked into their armor into their flags their banners even sometimes their, their castles themselves mm-hmm. um with their Tar- targaryen that's painting with a lot of dragon brush and i was wondering if they would actually get some like distinct characteristics and i think that they're leaning into you know scale um, yeah and and the different colors you know um I think that is a key to this stuff too. Um, but it's, it's hard to, this is just two guys, just two people standing in front of a, a static backdrop. Yeah. I mean, so, you might have some of the ancillary characters bringing in the, the splash of color, the, the variety to the wardrobes. Cause yeah, in this high tower picture, I'm seeing a lot of scale like dragon you know, uh-huh. stuff. So, um, so then you've got Steve Toussaint, yeah. uh, who is playing uh, the sea snake. Uh, what there do we you go. think? He's got yeah, a striking this guy... look. He's got these long ass white dreads. Um, yes. And flowing robes. Much, much different look than the high towers. Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, striking is what I want to say about this guy's look. Um mm-hmm. those platinum dreads, uh the salt and pepper beard, um the big the 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 big uh, sea snake sea snake banner takes up most of his uh left breast. Uh yeah. he's got some swashbuckling boots on. Uh he he's you know he, he looks like a, an aging pirate adventurer that's still got some some fight left in him. Mm-hmm. Um and he is going to be Renera Targaryen's chief advisor. Um, so he's going to play a central role. And again, uh, these are, he looks distinct from the other characters, which is something that I was worried about. Um, and I know, uh, the Valerians are not, they they have Valerian or the, yeah, the Valerians have that old Valerian blood. They're not Targaryens, but they're, they're closely related and you can kind of see, I I think that like, we were wondering like what, uh, cause we never seen on screen depicted uh, a black person being a Targaryen and how would that translate? But it looks pretty badass, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally we had a set, a shot of, uh, Emma D'Arcy and Matt Smith. Um, you know, this is some Targaryen ass Targaryen look. Uh, this guy looks exactly like, you know, we saw Rhaegar depicted in the you know flashbacks of game of thrones he looks very much like uh, uh daenerys's dumbass brother uh viserys wasn't it he's viserys yeah yeah um and then we see emma darcy looking very much like late stage um you know danny mad queen danny for sure um in in a in a very deep red burgundy with uh, some black and gold lace um yeah, but yeah, I, I like it's, it. It's it's enough variety in the dragon theme for me to appreciate it. Um, I mean, obviously the colors are different, but also the patterns of where they use the dragon scale. Uh, you know, he's got it on his sleeves. She's got it kind of down her torso in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. 
and like almost like an hourglass kind of look and yeah i i think it's cool i think they're varying it enough to where we'll be able to tell who's who especially it seems like they're going to do it with color a lot of the time yeah the green green versus black Mm -hmm. um which makes sense yeah um and like I said, I think that the the everyone looks a little d- distinctive, so you're not going to get anyone uh, confused, which that's always a concern when you got a big cast. Like remember the first time we watched Game of Thrones, and everybody didn't, it took like three seasons for everyone to get everyone's name straight. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what do you think about the fact that like who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? I think that's the most exciting thing about this series is that in the previous Game of Thrones, you know. Starks are pretty much the good guys. Lannisters are pretty much the bad guys. The Dragon mm-hmm. Queen over East uh, or over in Essos was the wild card. I really like this because I think going in, there's that's going to be a deep question of like who is being the selfish person here, who is doing the right thing, who is what is the right thing? Is the right thing the legal thing? Yeah. Is the right thing that I I'm excited by that? And I wonder if like I look at this costuming. And I look at uh, Emma Darcy and Matt Smith as the Targaryen standing there in, in front of the desert. Maybe this is Dorne. They're down, down in Dorne. And I look at Olivia uh, Cook and, and Reese Iffens as the High Towers. They look like they're the good guys. Mm-hmm. You know, just like, you know, this this red and black and scale and leather and silver and platinum. Like they they look like they look like the the villains from a Star Wars series and the High Towers look like the quote unquote good guys. I wonder yeah. if they're going to be subverting that, kind of playing it straight, or what? I don't know. I mean, as long as they ride, the more they can ride that line between like who's good and who's bad, I think the more interesting the show is going to be. Because oh, hundred percent for me, that's that's like the question of this show. Like in a civil war, which side do you side with? Um, yeah, and they're going to have to do you know a lot of explaining of everybody's motives, everybody's intentions. Um, for me to kind of pick a side and you know whether I pick the red team or the blue team mm-hmm. you know that there is a language to the colors and certainly I'm going to associate the red team with uh, you know the Lannisters and them being kind of evil and mm-hmm. that's going to be a hard association to break if they want to go that way but right, you know I, I'm going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt until I understand who's who and why they're fighting I saw an interview with Olivia Cook in Collider where she talked about her role and the show in general. And she said, what's amazing about Game of Thrones, like we saw in this first series, is that one season you, you hate a character and the next you absolutely love them and will go to the ends of the earth for them. You don't know what you're going to get with these characters. They're so well written, such as the human condition that you can do horrible things, but you can also do some wonderful things as well. It's very complex, and not black and white at all. I mean, think of like what we felt about Jamie Lannister in season one versus what we felt about Jamie Lannister in season two, how we felt about Sandor the hound when we first met him versus how we felt about him at the end. Um, yeah. So I wonder if they are doing a little bit of, uh, you know, with this color and maybe Martin himself um, is if there, if, if there are going to be good guys or bad guys, or if it's going to be something where, um, cause it's like, it's not like this is fighting. This isn't like a civil war, like one side wanted to maintain slaves and the others did not, Yeah, you know? yeah. this isn't, uh, this, this is a succession and, and who's the, the, the best, who's got the best claim for, so it's, 
you can kind of take out the, I guess, the moral element. And it's just, you know, which which side do you believe in and which side do you most identify with? But it'll be it'll be interesting because, you know, it's just it's almost a matter of like honor. And also at the end of the day, well, you know, this person's got the strongest claim by blood. This one has got the strongest claim by military might. Maybe we should go with the latter just so we don't a lot of people don't die necessarily because the person with the, the, the army is going to win. Right. You yeah. know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Could be. It's it's unfortunate that like the big question of who is going to rule Westeros was who had the best story because like I felt like that was not a great satisfying end to that. So you know this is going to be a whole series based on who gets to be the king, and we already know the outcome. It, they they got to figure out a way to keep it interesting, keep it twisty uh, for people who who don't. So. Uh, that's all the casting news that I saw. Did you see anything, uh, different? No, no. The only other big news I saw was about, uh, shows themselves, other prequels, other spinoffs, all right, other let's, let's talk about series. that. Let's talk about that. Okay. Uh, um, let's, let's talk about the other news that came out with some of these, uh, spinoff and, and, and series, and maybe we can talk about which ones we're interested in. Yeah, so there are a couple of new shows. First, let's get to one of the ones we've talked about already, the Flea Bottom series, um, which is, was in early development. Um, probably the earliest of all of the shows, right? It was going to be this like day in the life of the Flea Bottom people uh, in the slums of King's Landing there. Uh, but like they they didn't get very far in that, and they ultimately ended up canceling the development of that. So that is not a thing anymore. They, however, did announce, um, or well, I don't know if they've announced it so much as like Deadline ran an article that said, hey, they're developing another show um, that's going to be a prequel called 10,000 Ships, and it would feature Princess Nymeria, the leader of the Roinar, who's oh, yeah. basically running from the Valerians as they conquer the land and heading to Dorne. Yeah, they said they're the ones that settled uh, the land of Dorne. Um, yeah. I, there's a whole complicated mythology about that. Like, um, there used to, I guess there, there was a land bridge that connected the Essos and Westeros, and at one war of the children of the First Men, the children sundered that. So it's why you got that kind of the step zones of Dorne, like this broken archipelago. archipelago. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, yeah, Princess Nymeria, who. Uh, Arya named her wolf after yeah uh, was this kind of like fierce Amazon warrior queen that led her people across those stones to the south of Westeros to to um, you know ex- ex- escape being ex- extinguished because uh, that's the, the Valerians essentially gave every like uh, they were uh, you could be their vassal state <laughs> their slave state but they didn't like share power or recognize borders so yeah and that's it's, interesting. it's a primarily uh it would probably be a primarily female cast, right? Like, um, mm. because you said that they're basically Amazons, um, warrior kind of stuff. So a lot of the people on these boats, um, are going to be women. So that'd be interesting, interesting to see a take on that. Um, and then they also the other have thing nice about that is like, we're getting way out of the game of Thrones history. Like yeah, even yeah. now, like, you know, we're in, we're going back 200 years, but this is going back thousands of years into ancient like Westeros and Westerosi history when there's right. still the seven kingdoms. And well, I guess there were six until Dorne came up. Um, but, <laughs> sure. but yeah, like it's this, this is just forget everything you know about Targaryens and forget everything you know about everybody. Like this is, this is old pr- uh, prehistoric primeval 
Westeros shit. Yeah, they're really leaning into, you know, kind of getting off the map uh, of Game of Thrones, of, of A Song of Ice and Fire um, with these two new shows, because the other new show is going to be potentially, because these are still in very early development, an animated show set in, I don't know how to pronounce this, Yeti? Yeti? I, I don't know. I it's thought it was basically Y-T. the part of Essos that is inspired by Chinese culture. Yeah, it's way, way east, east yeah. beyond the like Shadow Mountains or whatever. It's very rumor. We've had limited contacts, some artifacts, some people, but like, yeah, it's it's big question mark. It's the far east of of uh, West it Planetos. Is. Yeah, not a lot to go on in the the written down lore of Westeros or Essos in this case. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know what that's going to be exactly. They, they do say that all of these new shows are going to have sort of the same tone as game of thrones so it's not like this is going to be the fucking ewoks show or something right this is going to be probably a grittier animated series made for adults um Mm. so i I mean that kind of excites me like i'm not a huge animated series guy i i occasionally watch them um I watched some of that that Castlevania thing that Netflix. Well, I was, was about on. to say that, like, when we say anime, we're talking about the style because increasingly a lot of the stuff is Western studios. Like, isn't I thought yeah, yeah. Castlevania, and I think the same studios making Castlevania just got announced. I think last weekend that they're doing uh, some development games workshop for some kind of Warhammer 40k. Oh, uh, because it is okay. like this kind of gritty, fluid style that suits high fantasy or science fiction very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so, so like when I say anime, it's not like like I don't think they're going to be chibi versions of Targaryens running around getting nosebleeds <laughs> and shit. It's, it's just powering animated up. and kind of a slick animated anime style. Yeah, I, I think of stuff like the Animatrix. Um, sure. Which, you yeah. know, has a lot of different styles of animation, but something along that tone, right, where it's you'll probably see a lot of blood. You'll probably see some nudity, a lot of adult yeah. shit going on yeah this isn't going to be game of thrones for kids it doesn't seem like it's going to let them just go that much further into the the grimness of the the setting the deltness of the setting Mm -hmm. did that clean up all of them or uh yeah that's everything that was announced and canceled there are a couple that we already knew about like the sea snake thing whatever that's going to be Mm -hmm. um about young Corliss valerian and then tales of duncan egg which everybody that's the one that seems that's the one that seems, but that's very that that and the sea snake one are very much Game of Thronesy. They're going to be yeah. recognizably of the setting, in the place, and I don't know if they're less because the thing is like the Naomi Watts like the very first prequel they announced was the Long Night that was going to take place like ten thousand years and is going to detail the for the Night's King and all this other shit and they canceled that and I I, I don't know if we ever talked about it officially but I always thought it's because like HBO is like do people even care about the Night Night's King after season the last season of Game of Thrones yeah. do, is that a mystery that people want to delve uh, into and like I think the answer was no so even though that was pretty far into production they, they canceled that in favor of House of the Dragon which is again very Game of Thronesy. Um, it's going to be very recognizably Game of Thrones. You got the Red Keep. Mm-hmm. You got the you know we're going to be talking about that all all the same sigils and stuff. Um, it's just going to be wide off the bat, hell of a lot more magic and dragons. Um, yeah, I want to see a Targaryen Winterfell. Is that a thing, or are the High Towers in Winterfell? Uh, the Starks are in Winterfell. 
Oh and shit! Always, yeah, they're thousands. They've of years always old. been there. You're, yeah, you're talking about the High Tower. Yeah, yeah. So a different generation of Starks. That'll be interesting. Well, I mentioned this the last time I was on with Anthony because we're talking about like what we're looking forward to the prequel, and uh, I remember when Anthony and I we we did the uh, Fire and Blood Volume One. Uh, we did like a four part book review series of that way before season eight of Game of Thrones, and we fucking love Cregan Stark. Cregan Stark is a as a badass and he kind of comes in late into the Dance of Dragons. But I think hmm. uh, I think he's going to be a, a fan favorite. Uh, the, he has his hour of the wolf, they call it late, late in the story. <laughs> it's uh, like a it's power pretty, hour. pretty, pretty it's a, it's a Stark <laughs> power hour. OK, they, they come in right, right in. And uh, yeah, uh, so that'll that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. What do you think about the um, wall? Are they going to show anything happening on the dead ass wall up there i don't like i yeah i think the north is going to be really back where people are going to be like where the fuck are the starks where the fuck are the starks where the fuck are the starks and then they're, they're going to get their answer late and it's going to i think they'll be satisfied who knows what they'll, will okay. actually happen um speaking of locations do you want to talk about some location leaks and scouting and stuff that has been talked about in the press sure what you got uh first of all i want to talk about some kind of like meta that you know HBO and and Warner Brothers are all all buddy buddy by acquisition and Warner Brothers just announced a massive new um uh increase in their studio backlot system in England. Uh Warner Brothers Studios at Levenston um has a brand new what was this 24,000 square foot of of soundstage space including a 7,000 square foot wraparound virtual production environment using a matrix of over 206 2,600 LED panels integrated in a state-of-the-art processing system. Dynamic ceiling offers an additional 554 or 5,500 square feet of LED panels with eight sections of work independently of each other, lifting and tilting to provide a new level of creative scope. Now, when I read this, they call this the V stage, the virtual stage. Uh, and House of Dragons is the first production that's ever going to use this. When I was reading this article and this came out of Variety, um, I immediately thought about the uh, the the what, what, what do they call that thing on the Mandalorian? The volume, the volume. Uh, so the volume, if you don't know, is a technique that they're using over on the Disney side of production where it's very similar to this. It's like imagine the floor, the walls and the ceiling are giant LED panels linked together and you can show a very high resolution textured background so instead of like green screening and then matting some kind of thing you just display the virtual reality behind the actors and the green screen is the environment and you can film it um whatever light is giving off like if it's a blazing red sunset the characters are going to have that red light bathing them because the leds are projecting it if they're wearing a mirrored pair of sunglasses you're going to see the background in it you don't have to fucking blue screen it in uh and if you cleverly integrate real like, you know, you got the wing of an X wing coming out of the wall and then the volume takes care of the rest. You can have characters ducking under and having things casting shadow. It's very, very realistic. It's 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 immersive for the actors and it cuts down a lot of post-production. Mm-hmm. However, uh, this is a brand new technology and we saw instances uh, where we thought like there is disputed whether this was actually the volume technology where they were doing a very similar technique in some of the early goings of Loki and it just looked hokey. <laughs> Loki was hokey for that, that episode. Yeah. Uh, here's a new studio doing a very uh, copycat technology. I wonder if there'll be some 
uh, you know, bumps in the road to, to them using it as well. Yeah, it sounds like they're even expanding on the tech, like this dynamic ceiling you're talking about, which, which can like lift and tilt and it's got eight sections work independently of each other like that. I wonder if they're doing that specifically for this show because of all the dragon stuff, because I could see that being super useful in aerial battles. Oh, like, sure. Yeah. You know, you're swinging the camera around wildly and, you know, you got this dome, but then, you know, if you're shooting from a certain angle, maybe the dome looks pretty domey. And instead of that, you're going to tilt all of the panels to sort of match the camera movement to stay on center and stuff. That probably is for all the dragon stuff. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be really hard for the production crew to adjust to this new technology right off the bat and the stakes are pretty high too it's not like they're trying this on some one-off you know dragon based mini episode thing and then going full hog they're just going right into the series with this so i don't know man we'll see what they can do with it we've 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 game of thrones has not been you know air free in their visual effects production. No. I, recently, we're going through our entire catalog of Game of Thrones and finding ad insertion points to, to do dynamic ad insertion. And I was happened to uh, be scanning, scrubbing through a podcast. And I got to the part where we we're talking about Daenerys jumping on uh, mm-hmm. uh, Drogon and, and taking off uh, out, out of uh, uh, the shit. Where was that? I've, I've forgotten the, uh, where the, the harpies. arena shit. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but we, we went on and on about how fucking like fake and rubber <laughs> Drogon's back looked and how gingerly she's climbing on this thing. And like you're supposed to have the music swelling like, you know, she's supposed to hop on this and be. But no, it was like, you know, this this looked very 1980s. Uh, it looked very uh, uh, never ending story in my head. It looks like Han stepping over Jabba's tail, like where he just kind of, you know, moves like the frame pauses and he moves into the location that yeah, he needs yeah, to be yeah, yeah. and they did that with Daenerys I'm, I'm sure it looks a thousand times better than that but that's what it looks like in my head but it, it is so it's like everyone's a lot shaky and you know but but I, I think that um, you're right I'm excited about the movable things independent control because it sounds like that might have also uh, when Loki was using that stuff it really fell apart when they're interacting with dynamic things like they're supposed to be in meteor that crashed in front of their feet and it's on the wall and it's kind of spray. But like it doesn't actually do that because it's a flat surface. Well, if you have mm-hmm. panels that can like shift and move and change and provide even a little bit of dimensionality or some actual like something coming at you that that could solve a lot of those problems or even just, so. you know, the human eye is very good at detecting like false lighting. Um, when something yes. doesn't quite line up and if you're casting shadows in the wrong way because the screens aren't angled correctly that can come across uh, subconsciously and, mm-hmm. and just make it look weird to the human eye right but it's you know if you can shift valley. the panel we know, yeah yeah we've, we've been outside we know what the sunlight looks like we know when right. things are moving and you can trick and do a lot of but like it, it takes some skill to, to do all that mm-hmm. um but as far as locations, don't don't think this is all going to be some hermetically sealed all in a <laughs> right. laboratory just on an LED soundstage. We got some new ass physical locations um, uh, in the city of Wartford in the Warner Brothers studios. They have been erecting a giant castle set. Uh, this castle is distinct reddish hue mm. uh, and looks very much like uh, the Red Keep that they're 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 rebuilding uh, since a lot of this takes place. In the capital city of Westeros, 
in King's Landing, it makes sense that they would have a, like a nice big set uh, to do outside things. And this this looks pretty fucking good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of my concerns when I started reading stuff about them having the V sets. I'm like, ah, oh, Jesus, this is going to be Star Wars prequels all over again. But they're taking a lot of time and effort to build real ass locations to give you that immersiveness. Um, yeah. Also, we saw some reporters from uh, some reports from a Spanish newspaper that uh, they're going to be filling uh, filming in uh, different cities in Spain, uh, Caceres and Tru- Tru- uh, Trujillo. God, I hope I pronounced those correctly. Um, these are cities that they used in previous productions to stand in for King's Landing, especially in season seven. Um, then. Uh, they also have picked the Portuguese city of Monsanto, um, which is famous for having all these buildings made out of stone. They have a lot of the red tile roofs that I think I associate with King's Landing. Mm-hmm. It's set against like this kind of, uh, you know, mountainous backdrop. It looks epic. Um, and when you see just like the unretouched modern, like all you'd have to do is airbrush a cell phone tower. Uh, and maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe two cell phone towers. And it just like, if you said this is, uh, you know, the outskirts of King's landing, you'd be like, yep, that's, that's probably what they look like. Mm -hmm. So, um, they have real ass castles. Uh, there's castles and fortifications. Um, the, uh, the the remains of those in the city. So like, I I think it's going to, it's going to suit the, um, the production pretty, pretty well. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Um, real life sets, New locations, returning to uh, familiar locations should give a lot of continuity between old fans and new fans, which is going to be very important. Sure. Uh, speaking of real stuff that you can touch and hold um, props. One of the things that I, you know, one of my early falling in love with like a Hollywood filmmaking was the Lord of the Rings DVDs, Blu-rays, the special features and where they had like hours of materials from actual armors and actual swordsmiths talking about. This is why we made Aragorn sword. And it looks like this because he's this guy. And I thought like, you know what? That's that's something I haven't seen. Like usually like when you saw swords and sorcery stuff, it's like Conan's got this sword it's big and shiny and it's it's improbable and it's a fantastic sword and it would never be effective in battle. But it looks cool. Right. Mm-hmm. I never heard of like, hey, how would this person's character express in how they choose to arm themselves? How heavily? What type? What type of sword? Like, what does it tell us about the person, how they carry it? Had they wear it on their back or their belt? And I started since then, I started paying a lot of attention to to productions that do that. I'm like, are you doing productions that just looks cool? Are you doing stuff that looks like it's really character based? So recently, um, Ryan Condal, the showrunner uh, of House of the Dragon, had the show's armor, the House of Dragon armor, Tim Lewis, on an episode of his podcast, The Stuff That Dreams Are Made Of, which is all about movie props. So clearly. You know, Ryan is passionate about the the props as well. And the way they talked about it reminded me a lot of the way the people in the Lord of the Rings were talking about that project, where they're really talking about not just making cool looking stuff, although that's important, but also making it, um, um, you know, talk about the characters. For example, uh, Ryan said, one of the many things I like about Tim's work is that he really does think about the character that's using the sword. You know, this guy's a very high rich lord, but the sword's kind of a symbol of his office. He doesn't really fight with it, so he should have something stately that looks like maybe an heirloom. But this other guy fights a lot, and he's not really fussy about, you know, how things look and the trappings of nobility. So he's going to have something really nasty and functional like that idea that some it should when a, a character unsheathes a sword, it should say something about them. 
Um, <laughs> I really like that. Um, and you know, he even cuts into the difference between doing like a fantasy sword versus a fantasy sword with some like basis in reality. He says, we talked together a bit about uh, the differences between a really interesting design, beautiful sword and like a piece from a Renaissance fair. It's that valley between design and functionality. that sometimes goes a bit too far in movie making. I think the trick is what you do is to always walk the line. So when a character is holding something, it's credible. Um, he also says that it's he's very sensitive about making the world feel lived in and real in all kinds of ways. Uh, world building is so critically important, especially in a fantasy world. We try to make it all feel like it wasn't just lumped together and dropped on a plate. There's hundreds of years of history going into this and everything evolved naturally through the people that built and designed and used these things. And that reminds me of like uh, the design ethos between the first Star Wars series too, Mm -hmm. where like Lucas and Ralph McQuarrie wanted like, you know, this is rebellion. They're going to have stuff that's beat up and kind of cobbled together versus the Empire, which is very, you know, that stuff is mass produced and very shiny and new and fun. I, like the, the world building yeah um having to be thoughtful i that you know i'm a huge lore whore and world building's half of it and i got so excited when i started hearing these guys talk about that stuff the other thing that came out of the podcast is i guess there are going to be three valerian steel swords um and you know common speculation would would fill in two of those names blackfire and dark sister these are the uh, ancestral blades used by Aegon the Conqueror and his sister Visenya. This happened 300 years before the Game of Thrones events where they conquered all of Westeros, united the seven kingdoms under one rule at King's Landing. Uh, so you've got those two famous Valerian blades, but then there's, you know, what would be the third one? Uh, who knows? Um, yeah. I don't have any speculation. I saw some people mention some some this sort or the other. The only one that I kind of would like to see, and this is something that got me excited in the Game of Thrones days, is the sword Dawn from House Dane. Um, Sir Arthur Dane was the last sword of the morning, who is the knight of this house that's authored, that's considered worthy to the, the wield this blade. He was uh, the head of the Kingsguard back in... Um, the the mad the mad kings uh day uh ned stark and him faced off over his sister and turns out john snow um and you always hear about what a legendary badass he is and this this blade it's not a valerian steel blade though this is a blade oh. that the 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 ancestor of house dane tracked down a falling star to a place where it fell built a castle on it and excavated to find the heart of that meteorite and and hammered a sword that's described as like pale, milky white, like glass out of this celestial substance. And it's always mentioned as like on par with Valerian. Um, but I would like to see that sword. And there's only one mention. There was a sword of the morning. So there was a knight that was carrying the blade back during the dance of the dragons. But he's got like two sentences in his, his <laughs> uh, uh, you know, wiki of ice and fire article. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Like I, if they're going to invent some history there, I'd like to see fucking the sword of dawn. I was going to say they have a lot of license here to invent things. Um, you know, this, this sword, this Valerian steel sword could just be a brand new invented one too. It doesn't have to be any of the ones mentioned in the books or, uh, you know, specifically, oh, uh, called out. It could be anything. They could make one up. It would be, I always thought it'd be interesting to have a second sword for the third, the, the other sister, you know, you got Blackfire and Dark Sister, but there's there's a, another Targaryen sister that came across and did some conquering of her own. She wasn't the more military one, but she did 
She had a conquering. I, I think she probably had a Valerian steel blade. Yeah. Well, what's up with that? Light sister? <laughs> sure. I want to see I want to see Light Sister. Um to you know, then maybe there's something about all three, but it's like the fucking Triforce. I don't know. Yeah. And that's the thing, is there going to be like any real consequence to having these swords? I mean, when you got dragons, what's a Valyrian steel sword? You know, it was always kind of a thing in Game of Thrones when we were like, oh, what's the Valyrian steel going to do? Right. It can fight the White Walkers. It can do all these things. It doesn't seem like there's going to be so much consequence to having a Valyrian steel sword in this series. Well, so I I wonder if they're going to really lean into the dragons as nukes part of this, where it's like the Targaryens initially are hesitant to deploy the dragons because like, what are you going to do? Melt castles, burn entire like they they, there's no finesse there. Valerian steel can kill a dude. A dragon can kill a field full of dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a let there's so like, I wonder if there'll be some of this jockeying because one side has a lot more dragons and dragon riders than the other. And then there's like this kind of like, you know, asymmetrical aspect of this warfare. So I, I wonder if they're going to keep the dragons for storytelling purposes, you know, to kind of ease people back into the fantastic elements and for narrative purposes as well that like, well, if you bring out the dragons and everything just gets burnt to a crisp, like. Well, why not just do that? Like, why not just burn all of your enemies' castles? Why? So, like, there has mm-hmm. to be some kind of political thing keeping them back. And it's probably just like, yeah, you don't want to burn. Yeah, Cold War. All the castles and lands. And, yeah, sure. cold, yeah, Cold Dragonfire War. That's <laughs> not as exciting, though, right? Like, I keep hearing about all these aerial battles with dragons and stuff that they want to do. And I'm like, but that's late. That's, man, that's the thing. Like, I, yeah, but mm, we already did that with Game of Thrones, right? Like right. we went eight seasons of that show and maybe in like two, we saw dragon battles. I want to see more dragon battles out of the dragon ass dragon show that house of the dragon should be. So well, you're going to get them like, cause there's, there's yeah. even like an, there's, there's like an early dragon skirmish, but then there's a bunch of it towards the end. And like, these are like, you thought Drogon was a dragon. No, no, no. Drogon yeah. was like a teenage dragon at best. Um, you've got like uh, I think Balerion the Black Dread, the biggest of the dragons, is dead by this point. Okay. Um, that was the old king's personal dragon. But you've got you know dragons that are two thirds the size of him. Then that 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 guy had teeth as long as great swords. He could swallow a woolly mammoth's whole. Uh, mm. it's like a seven forty seven, and there's a where a little tiny dude sitting on top of the cockpit. It, and I it was just be, thinking how silly that's gonna look. <laughs> How are they it also could be that? fucking awesome. Like if yeah. a dragon's wings can span a whole city, like it, like imagine that being unleashed in a medieval society. Oh, it is yeah, a nuclear no. bomb. Yeah. That'll that'll be super cool. I'm just thinking like the writer part part of that is gonna be a little silly looking with this tiny little <laughs> speck of a dude on this giant ass dragon. I suppose. Although it's funny, like if if uh, pilots rode their seven forty sevens, it's exactly what it looked like. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, thinking, just... boy, that looks silly in my head. Well, it turns out <laughs> dragon riders actually dra- ride into dragons' mouths where it's protected. You know, they they have like a little ladder they climb out when they breathe fire, but mostly they stay in the okay. cockpit, uh, the the dragon pit where it's it's safe. Um, we'll see. Yeah, I don't I don't know about all that. Um, But then there's also as far as like keeping the dragons off the table, there's also this mysterious Mysteria character 
um, mm. that uh, is being played by Sonoya Mizuno, that she could be using mystical powers to ensorcel soul dragons or neuter them or something that that there's they're, they're, all kinds of cool stuff to like, you know, make it not all be dragon v drag. But there will be a lot of dragano a dragano type of action. I would um, hope so. The last thing I want to talk about is the fact that just two weeks ago, July 12th, was the 10th anniversary of the release of the book A Dance with Dragons, which is not the Dance of Dragons we're talking about. I don't know if he just recycled the name uh, for the fifth of the book in the, the Song of Ice and Fire series. And Martin then has gone silent. He's done the World of Ice and Fire, Fire and Blood, doing some spinoff series, uh, editing uh, anthologies and whatnot. But Video he games. has not. And and like in the two years after Game of or Dance of Dragons was released, he had excerpts of Winds of Winter. He was doing con readings. People are excited. And then it just fucking stopped. To mark the occasion, Jason Concepcion, one of our buddies, uh, formerly from binge. I, I don't know if he still does the binge mode podcast. He left the ringer, uh, but him and Mallory did the binge mode for a long, long. I know a lot of people are familiar with his work. He tweeted. Someone asked him about it. and He tweeted again to mark the occasion. Uh, he says, uh, it's my belief that those books will come out. The question is, who will write them? Harper Collins isn't going to leave a few hundred million dollars on the table. I don't know if Jason doesn't know or if he's just that like. Um, uh, what do you call that uh, when you're jaded uh, or you're. Uh, um, what, what's another word for jaded? D- disenfranchised. I don't know. It's uh, the opposite of naive. You're you're. <laughs> I don't know, and a downer, whatever. Maybe, maybe he's cynical. That's it, cynical yes. enough. Okay. Uh, but like, I've always heard that Germ has a pretty ironclad "Don't finish my fucking books if I die" clause in his personal affairs. Now, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen the man's will. I don't know if that if he'll have a change of mind if he has like a sudden turn of bad health or if you know, like he's still got hopefully a lot of life to live, and hopefully he'll finish these books. What do you think about the idea that like uh, a publisher would finish an author's works over his dead body? Literally. <laughs> uh, it's a good question. Cause I like the example I think of that's closest to this is wheel of time, right? Where Robert Jordan oh, died sure. close to the end of that series, a couple books off and Brandon Sanderson took over and wrote the ending with his uh, blessing. That's that's the key difference, right? Uh, and he, help. <laughs> he had the, the everybody had the blessing of Robert Jordan. So like, it, this is a weird case where the author doesn't want that to happen. And how you know how long? Well, I can tell you exactly how long you have to respect the wishes of an author who's signed a contract. Uh, it's until it's his life plus 75 right i was gonna say until disney stops renewing the fucking uh what is it called mouse copyright yeah the copyright yeah uh until until they stop pushing that out further and further and further to cover mickey mouse um once the the public at large gets uh upset enough about that and it goes into public domain these books will be written uh eventually Mm -hmm. it's just will you or i live to see it who knows yeah. And I, I, that's the other thing is like if if because um, I think there's there'll be a compelling. If, if, if this happens, if HarperCollins were to take over and be like, well, we're just going to release an unofficial uh, conclusion to the Song of Ice and Fire. 
Um, or even honestly, if Martin had a last minute change of heart and like, you know what? Uh, yeah, we are going to get Sanderson in here to to, to write the, the rest of it. Um, I don't know, because like I think a lot of fans, unless it's amazing, unless it gets Martin's full blessing and it's amazing. A lot of people will be like, well, this isn't this isn't a song of ice and fire. This is the counterfeit version and we're just never, ever going to get the real one. What kind um, of asshole do you have to be to be on your deathbed? And they're saying, hey, Martin, you're never going to write these books because you're dying. And he still like says, nah, nah, you can't write these things like th- that is just a fuck you to fans. Right. Saying your series I, that you yeah, love will never be completed. That's insane because it literally doesn't affect you anymore. You're dead. I think that like because I there's I've gone full circle on this because in early days, I can't remember who it said, but like uh, one of the authors had this blog post that said, you know, George Martin's not your bitch. Like George Martin wrote these books. He published them. He got paid and he doesn't owe you a sequel at any particular time, any particular date. And I'm like, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense, especially since people were putting a lot of crazy pressure on Martin. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I do think there is something, some kind of handshake that goes on between reader and author that like yeah. you will invest deeply in these characters that I created and I will, to the best of my ability, give you a compelling resolution to whatever thing I got you interested in. Like yeah. it's he's not my bitch, but also there's he doesn't not owe me anything. There's an implicit Mm-hmm. contract there that he is so far welching on and kind of yeah. in an egregious fashion. I mean, I can understand you know? if he couldn't get these things published, if it did, like just wasn't successful enough and you had people complaining because right. goddamn, no one will publish the final two books. Yeah, no one, done. no one bought dance of dragons. So there's just no interest and they won't pay. And I've got ideas and I'd love to write, but you know, right. I, I don't work for free. Like I, I get that, but that's not the kid. Martin has been compensated lavishly. <laughs> right. Um, Still on this material, I do think he owes us a, uh, you know, and if he doesn't, I think he can be rightfully criticized by fans for failing to do that. You know, it's not as most like, you know, he's it's, he mm-hmm. needs to take care of himself and his health and his family first. But like, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, and beyond I, I your death, that's insane. That's truly insane. Like to say, hey, never write these books. Uh, yeah, because I know, like I'm Martin, the only one who can write these is that is inexcusable. It's a weird. I yeah, like. I think I thought that Martin is kind of a secular humanist, um, doesn't believe in like the afterlife or any kind of Judeo Christian. And like, if you if you believe that, I don't understand why you care at all about what happens when you're dead. You might care about how your work is used to further your family and your Mm -hmm. uh, descendants um, or whoever you want, you know, your causes or whatever that like I could see that. But like. Nah, I just don't want this book finished after I'm dead. That does seem like an I mean, asshole. you can't enforce that either, right? Because at some point, it the the property becomes part of his Public estate, and, and his estate goes to right. whoever is, uh, you know, next in line for his estate, and they get the say over their own property, which is now this franchise. Yeah. So, and that'll probably, yeah, ten, ten, fit. But I don't know who, because Martin doesn't have kids, right? Like he's got a partner. I don't don't think he's like, like, I don't, I don't think I don't, I'm not sure if he's married or not, but like, I I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know what happens if uh, a guy dies childless and no inheritors and like there's an estate, but like what happens to it? He probably goes into Uh, a trust somewhere. um, Yeah, there's all, yeah, there's all the kind of legal remedies, but as far as ethical and morally, I don't think there's a problem. It's just more like if it's not good and it's not satisfying, people aren't going to accept it. Where if it is good and satisfying, people accept it, even if it's like, you know, kind of shaky, murky, legally 
I was thinking like, what if Harper Collins does like an, uh, you know, an unofficial like, hey, these are we're going to maybe like take the characters and maybe call them a different name. But it's just going to be Game of Thrones <laughs> by another name. It's literally going to be. Yeah. Throne of games. Like just call her Danny. It's Danny mm-hmm. and Johnny and, <laughs> uh, you know, all that. Sandra. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Siri. And then. <and, laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's just a like a like an unofficial kind, kind of like what um uh Fifty Shades of Grey did with Twilight. It's like I can't I can't sell Twilight fan fiction and make money from it, but mm-hmm. I can file off the serial numbers and change the names and turn it into I don't know some billionaire porn bullshit. But sure, I, I don't know. That would be really like what if Sanderson did like uh, uh an unofficial. Like this is Game of Thrones, but we're not going to call it Game of Thrones. <laughs> and it's just going to be how I always thought about how Game of Thrones. I think that would do well. This is the future you're leaving us, Martin. If you don't write these books. And you have this insane clause in your will or your trust or whatever. This is what Maybe you're leaving Martin us Martin is engineering a succession crisis. Just so when he dies, there's a oh, little God. bit of real life Game of Thrones. <laughs> Who's going to write it? Is yeah, Sanderson like going to get it? He's yeah, got the Harper best claims raising their banners. Is is Sanderson <laughs> going to he the, the recognize their rightful claim or the the spiritual allegiance <laughs> Who's he owes to his Lord pin. Martin? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know. But it's like I kind of think that maybe he would in his is his darkest of hearts think that that would be funny. Like, yeah, God. Uh, it's going to be a shit show and it'll be, you know, I'll have my the stones will be on my eyes and people will be already fighting over the kingdom. It's very Game yeah. of Thrones. I mean, he's a very Robert Baratheon esque character, I would say, in his look. You say he's Lord too, too fat to write a, the type of typewriter. I think he <laughs> could get taken out by a boar. Yeah. He needs uh, the the uh, uh, he, he needs his uh, turtle beanie stretcher. <laughs> sure <laughs> his 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 art his author vest sweat stretcher yeah um well we'll see we'll see because like i said after because that's the thing is now that he's he's co-creator of all these new shows like how the hell is he ever going to find if he didn't get it done in the pandemic if it's not off the editor i i don't know i don't i i've yeah i don't expect that we will get another game of thrones book if we do get winds of winter I can't imagine we get dream a, a dream of spring. Um, but at the, you know, that's the other, the, the, the conspiracy theory that he's actually going to finish all of them before. And that makes, a, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. I, I wonder if we'd had a 10 year gap if he'd waited to really, cause, cause I think some of the gap is just him mm-hmm. getting this knot where he's like, well, shit, these, these richly developed characters are organically all over the earth. How do we get them back together? The double D's did it. No one liked that shit. But anyway, uh, that's going to be it for our preview podcast for House of Dragon. We'll have another one out again in, in like eight to ten weeks when Anthony takes another break between uh, after season four of Electric Bookaloo. But one final time, that comes back next week, August 5th. The new season is going to drop uh, ten more chapters from Game of Thrones. Uh, he's got two interviews with the co-authors of The World of Ice and Fire. Uh, Linda Antonson is coming back, but he's also going to have Elio Garcia, the other of the Triune uh, writer godhead there uh, again George Martin himself says these two know more about Westeros than he does so that's pretty cool and he's uh, you, you've got a unique opportunity to, to ask these people a question about the universe about the lore about whatever 
at book at baldmove.com. Uh, and that's, uh, that's where Anthony's taking feedback. So I, I hope you continue listening. Um, I hope that, uh, house, house of dragon does drop spring of 2022. So we can get back to, uh, the, the world and, uh, see, see what they're doing with it. Mm-hmm. That's it. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening. Uh, until next time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Check out Bookaloo. See ya.